0: Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Church, this is Legacy Offering Sunday. We're continuing our series on Give As God Gives. And at the end of this sermon, we as a church family right across the city are coming together to give to God and invest into the Legacy that we are carrying and investing into as a church here, Avant Life Church in North Vancouver and in Squamish. And that's exciting. And so as we talk about the concept of Give As God Gives, part three, uh, which is our final part for the year, uh, could you open your heart, your mind, to all that God wants to speak to you? This is an important moment for us as a church. Uh, Every time we come around our legacy offering, which we do annually, uh, we are actually saying, God, we are prepared For what you are doing. And furthermore, we're prepared for whatever is to come in 2021 and the years that follow. And in that, we are being good stewards, we are being faith filled believers, followers, and we are placing our treasure where our heart is. And that is right in the center of all that you're asking us to do in and through Jesus. And so, in that, can you make sure that as a family, as your household, that you have expectant hearts, expectant spirits as God begins to move in us this morning. So give as God gives, part three. Uh, This is titled, I am generous. Turn to the person next to you or maybe in the the chat, say, I am generous. I am generous. Now, you probably said that super robotically. Say it like you mean it, like, you know, I am generous. Now, if you don't mean it, don't say it. I wanted to say something else, but I just had to tell the truth. Uh, like, try to mean it. <laughs> Do your best. Hey, in Acts 20:35, we see Luke write, "In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must keep the weak and remember the words of the Lord." Sorry, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how He Himself said, "It's more blessed to give than to receive." And what we're seeing here is a reflection on a beatitude, and a beatitude just means supreme blessedness. Don't you love that? Supreme, what a great word. What a terrible brand, but what a great word. Supreme blessedness. I love that when we search the Gospels, we see that kingdom paradox or a sacred kingdom paradox lies so tied up in these Beatitudes. Jesus himself is is taking what we see as human values and he reverses it. And he says, you'll be happier if you do that. Isn't that interesting? So when I say I am generous, this is something... That I'm not, I'm not, are you generous? Or I can be generous. He's saying, I am generous. I am generous. That is a core function, a core characteristic. It is a part of my DNA, my dinner. Every night I eat generosity. <laughs> well, I do technically, right? Yeah. Why? Because everything God's given me is given out of a generous heart. Everything I have is because he has blessed me with it. Generously, see generosity is expressed in worship, in serving, in attitude towards others, in attitude towards others, in attitude towards others. Yeah, that's the one we forget, forgetting it. Yeah, Colin's like, no, I never forget generosity towards that. attitude towards others, encouraging others. This is my great gift. I'm a great encourager. It might not sound like encouragement in the time, but it comes from a heart to to encourage you. You can do better. Is an encouragement. Forgiving others. I'm actually good at that, aren't I, babe? I'm a good forgiver. (laughs) I forgive good, right? No words, okay. That mask doesn't hide your expression. And then there's financial giving and resource giving and time giving. Like, generosity is expressed in multiple different... I, I know you know that. And I'm not here to maybe enlighten you on new ways to be generous. I'm just here to remind you, hey, you can't compartmentalize, I am generous. You can compartmentalize, are you generous? But our God is not the God of compartments. He hasn't come for 10% of you. He's come for all of you. He actually died for all of you. And so in that, I want us as a church to be able to say, I am, we are generous. It is a part of our DNA. Do you know what I find interesting is that when we look at Beatitudes, when we look at what Jesus teaches, there is a give and take. For instance, you have to give to forgive. right? You can't take and forgive at the same time. We see here in Matthew 18, 27, the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. He gave to forgive. Isn't that interesting? He gave to this man... And then he forgives this man. Like when we look at this, I've got to tell you, generous is something difficult to live through in your own strength. Human beings, we ain't generous naturally. But there's a call on our life. There's this desire for God to show in us his extravagant generosity. That's a part of your calling as a Christian. Extravagant, again generosity. We're going to read a story here. It's one of my favorite stories, Um, and it's going to really show what we're talking about when it comes to I Am Generous. It's found in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 1 to 8, and if you have your Bibles with you, just turn to that and, and read along. It says this, six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Come on. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was the one of those reclining with him at the table. Lazarus is chilling with Jesus. Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with this fragrance of the perfume. Don't you love it? Maybe you don't. I like it when like Emma gets ready to go out or we're going to go on a date or we're coming to church She gets ready and then she puts on her perfume and her perfume fills the room. And it just reminds me that I am so blessed to have a beautiful, amazing, intelligent, high capacity, forgiving wife. But could you imagine that? She anoints Jesus' feet with a pound of this most expensive ointment and the room is filled with this beautiful smell. We see Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples, who was about to betray him, say, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Can I just say, we're about to read what I think is the first communist statement in the Bible. He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief and having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone. So that, uh, so, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you have always with you, but you do not have me with you always. Isn't it interesting that we read this and we look at Mary and it's just this extravagant generosity given to Jesus. And it's that anointing before his burial. She, she is she's doing something far more profound than we can see. But then we see Judas do what Judas does best and he makes this comment. And isn't it such a powerful comment? And we've probably heard it in our own life. Maybe if you uttered it yourself in a different fashion where he says, hey, why did this happen? We could have sold this and taken care of poor people. See, why was Mary so extravagant and why was Judas so upset? And the reality is in this story, and it's good for us, It's honestly good for us because I do believe we share parts of each heart. There's two hearts on display. There's Mary's heart and there's Judas's heart. And a generous heart and a selfish heart. What I find interesting is that giving in this story and in your life will expose or reveal what is your heart. Giving does that. Giving reveals. So when we look at this story, we begin to pull out What is actually taking place? If if you've got a notepad with you or you're writing on your iPad or whatever, this is the first point I want you to write down. We're going to talk about the enemy of generosity. And the true enemy of generosity is selfishness. It's an age-old battle. God being generous, the world and the enemy being selfish. We're born selfish, but we are reborn again, generous in Christ. Isn't it interesting as a child, one of your first words, maybe not for you, babe, maybe not for you, But for the rest of us, one of the first words we learn is mine. That's mine, 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 mine. See, sharing to a child is very black and white. Mine is mine, yours is yours. There's no in between. Selfishness being the enemy of generosity. See, it's ingrained in us. Selfishness promotes, protects, and provides for the self. See, it tries to take the place of God. Isn't that interesting? Selfishness tries to take the place of God. And so we can wrap it up and make it look a particular way, but at the end of the day, we're still promoting, we're still protecting, and we're still providing for ourselves, Though we can make it look like we're trying to do it for others. Do you know what I mean? Like, we over-spiritualize it. We put, we put these, these, you know, these false comments around it, but we, we use the right Christian words so that we can't be called out. We see here in John 12, 4-6, Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, Judas spiritualized selfishness. Oh man, if there is something prevalent in the Western church right now, that is we have a very good understanding of how to spiritualize things that we shouldn't spiritualize and how to materialize things that should be spiritualized. And generosity can become so convoluted when we begin to talk about the legalities of things or what is at the heart of something and what about this and what about that instead of reflecting on the fact that the the concept of generosity is not something bound to a financial restriction but it is a lifestyle in which empowers all aspects of our life and therefore it is an impulse to be generous not an intentional decision. I don't want to say that again. When I am generous, it's an impulse. It means it happens before I have the decision made in my mind. It circumvents everything that I have to deal with. It goes, I'm first, generosity first. It means the way I respond has been rewired. My hard wiring has been redone. God has come in there and he's redone the wiring. So before my mind or maybe my deceitful heart could get involved, the generous impulse is betrayed out the front. It's leading the way. This is what we're saying. Judas, on the other hand, spiritualizes selfishness and none of us would be like Judas, would we? No, not at all. None of us would steal from the giving station. But I think we can all say that many of us have left money into our accounts when God asked us to give it somewhere. Many of us didn't go visit someone when we were told by God to visit someone. Many of us didn't pick up the phone and give the word of encouragement that God asked us to do. Many of us didn't give someone a place to stay one night. Aiden, And hid behind some form of spiritualized selfishness. We read in Malachi 3.8, where we, sorry, will a mere mortal rob God? Isn't that crazy, that word? Will a mere mortal, I love that, would a mere mortal rob God? It's almost rhetorical, right? No, you shouldn't. That would not be a wise move. Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? And God returns with, in your tithes and your offerings. In what I've asked you, what I've asked for you to bring to me, and your disobedience is robbing me. Wow. Isn't it amazing that our faith can move mountains and our disobedience can rob God? Wow. wow. That's a crazy thought. Why don't you give to God your tithe and your offering? What is your reason? What have you spiritualized to help you deal with her disobedience? Man, I say that because I've been there I've had that conversation in my heart. Well, you know, this and that, and well, I'll, you know, I'll just give it all at the end of the month. But then something else comes up, Well, God understands He's the God of grace. And I live in this perpetual cycle of, of almost generosity like a paycheck by paycheck, not the extravagant generosity that God wants me to live in. Can I encourage you right now that selfishness? will always try to convince you that it is the best at promoting, protecting, and providing for you. But scripture tells us your encounter with God would have told you that there is no better promoter, no better protector, and no better provider for you than God himself. No better. So the enemy of generosity is our selfishness. Let's talk about extravagant generosity. You would agree with me that our God is an extravagant God. He does this day in, day out. In Scripture, everything has detail. I mean, like, it doesn't have to be big to be extravagant. It has to be detailed. Does that make sense? Like, some of the most beautiful things in the world are beautiful because what has been done is almost unseen. It's not about making everyone know what you've done. And that's our God. Our God is an extravagant God. Extravagant means to show a lack of restraint. Maybe some of us are really good at being extravagant, just in the wrong areas. Some of us are extravagant in our love life. Show no restraint. Some of us are extravagant in our words about others. Do you know what I mean? We can do better. That's a great word. What are you extravagant in? Because all I know is when I look at my God, when I look at the scripture, it can be bubbled down to God gave, which is a generous act of grace. God gave. So I should be extravagant in my generosity. Yet I seem to be extravagant in everything else in my life, but generosity all the time. Now, I'd be the first to admit that I am not the best at staying focused. Now, I'm hearing what you're saying, but I'm also thinking a whole bunch of other stuff. There's been times, and Emma can testify, and I'm not proud of this, but I'm not ashamed of it either. Where in the middle of a conversation, I'll just walk away. Not because I'm upset. I just had a thought. Usually it's not an important thought. Like, is there snacks in the cupboard? I'm not going to eat them. Just want to check. What are we extravagant in? David sets the example of generosity for us in our wealth and influence as people. We see that in First Chronicles 21 verse 24, King David uh, replies to Arunah and He says, No, I insist on paying the full price and will not take from the Lord what is yours or sacrifice a burnt offering that does not cost me anything or nothing. And he's talking about wanting to give an offering to God. And this man saying, you know what? I'm going to give it to you free of charge. You're a good king. You're a good person. I want to help out. But King David goes, no, I can't give an offering that hasn't cost me something. That's how it works. You know, David wanted desperately to build the temple for God, but it was actually bestowed upon his son Solomon to do the deed. But what I love about David is that instead of just going, well, it's not my job, it's my son's job, and sitting on his laurels, do you know what he did? David saves up, and I kid you not, in modern terms, he saves $21 billion worth of material so that his son could build in his investment. If that's not extravagant generosity or an example of godly generosity to give what you might not see, to partake in what you might not get to be able to build, but give exceptionally above and beyond so that the next generation could do what? Not just excel in what God's called them in their life to do, but give God glory to worship God right, to honor Him, to show how magnificent He is. When we talk about legacy, when we talk about doing what God's asked us to do, we're not just talking about now, and we know that. We want to invest in things to come that we won't be around for. I want to know that we've done our best to make sure that God's name is known to the generations to come, not just for their sake, but for our sake, because we're so passionately in love with the mission of God that even beyond the grave, we're seeing our hard work echo His goodness throughout the land. Come on, if that doesn't get you excited this morning, then I don't know what will. God has called us to be extravagant. In our generosity, when we read Mark 12, 41 to 44, it says this Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Can I tell you, if I stand at the giving station and watch you give how weird that would be? I can do it. And then just judge everything you give. I'm kidding, it's all digital. I know what you're doing. But I can tell what buttons you're pressing. I'm kidding. Many rich people threw in large amounts. You could see the image here, right? People are watching the, the, the offering area and they're coming in with their Santa sacks. Hoo, hoo, hoo. Boom! Right? Coins going everywhere. <laughs> it's all for God. Watch me. But the Bible says that Jesus looks and he says this poor widow came and she put in two very small copper coins. Not just small, like very small worth only a fraction of a penny. Who here, when you drop a five-cent coin, don't pick it up? Yeah, it's true, right? Like, depends where it's dropped. What I find weird is the 10-cent coin is smaller than the five-cent coin, right? So I I make the mistake of dropping a 10-cent coin. I'm like, do I want to pick up the five-cent coin thinking it's the less? Anyway, it speaks to stewardship, Right? She sees these very small coins and instead of going, hey, these are worthless, she takes them because they mean a lot to her. And The Bible says here that calling his disciples to him, Jesus says, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. I love this story because Jesus all of a sudden says, hey, wealth is no longer about how much you earn. That's what he's saying. He's saying this woman understands wealth better than the wealthy people of the time. Why? Because she gave out of a lack, not out of an abundance. Because someone who is truly wealthy in character gives out of a principle, not out of some form of social or affirmation-based or projection that someone might actually value me more because I've given. No, she goes, you know what? This is not about everyone else. This is about me. It's not about the amount. It's always about the attitude. It's not about the amount. As we give today, it's not about the amount. You would have realized that we rarely as a church give you a definite amount of money for each offering because it's not about the amount. I trust God. And when we say he's asked us to come together and give into an offering, the exact amount that we raise is the exact amount he's commissioned. And so when we talk about this, why do I say that? Because it's not about the amount. It's about the attitude. See, if I told you today we wanted to raise $200,000 and one person came and gave $199,000 and then then I gave the other $1,000 and we, array, we, raised, you know, we raised that $200,000 and we celebrated the amount. What's wrong with that image? Two people gave, one the most and one a little bit and no one else gave. That tells me that you can raise as much money as you want, but you got an attitude problem. And what have you achieved? Nothing but financial gain. And the Bible tells us that God doesn't care about the money the way we care about the money. It doesn't mean the same thing that it means to, to him that it means to us. And so when we talk about it, it's not about the amount, it's about the attitude. When Levi was younger, my son has a compassionate heart. I know this might sound weird, but he's just like his (laughs) mum. He looks like me, but lives like her. He is a compassionate, and I, I remember he's younger and his sisters were younger. He had some coins, I don't know how he got his coins, there wasn't many. And we go to the shops. And he says, Dad, I want to buy uh, Alice and Eden some, some candy. And I'm like, OK. I said, Go pick your candy. He's got, because like, you got money, right? Yeah, I got money, Dad. So he takes, um, I kid you not, it's probably like, like a loony, right? It's just a dollar. And he, he picks up a lot of candy that I know his dollar can't pay for. It's not enough. But you know what I find interesting? Is that Levi didn't take the candy and the dollar and just give it to the cash lady or the, or the man. What did he do? He brought the candy to dad. He brought the dollar to dad and then he didn't ask any more questions. Think about that. What happened? What, what was probably more like $5, dad made up the $4 amount. Dad made the $4 amount up and his heart of generosity to see his sisters blessed happened in extravagant abundant manner not because what he had but he understood if he gave it to dad doesn't matter what he had he just had to be a part of it he had to value it you know when we are part of our old church our sending church they have a a, a food bank program and immediately you would think we should just give the food for free Right, And I remember when I first started there, and I was like, why are we just not just giving it for free? Because that's the Christian thing to do. And I remember speaking to the the, the woman who was running it, and she said, the reason we asked them to pay pay a minimal amount is because to contribute to your own food is massive when it comes to your dignity. Oh man, think about that. When I contribute for something for my family, if I wasn't to contribute, I'd have a loss of dignity. Who am I in this? How am I dad? How am I husband in this? If I'm not contributing the way I should be. And so I love that concept, a hand up, is that they would give, like it was, that was so affordable, honestly. Like we're not talking huge amounts. It was just a portion. It's, it is, is a copper coin to the value of what they were getting. But they got to contribute. Why? Because of dignity. Can I tell you right now that God, a part of his extravagant generosity is to make sure that our dignity remains intact. Brilliant. That we don't become welfare dependent in everything that we do and we become lazy in it. And I'm not saying that's happening to everyone, but we can be. Like as kids, we become like that, when everything's done for us. And then you leave home and you're like, how do I work the washing machine? Oh, the dishes need soap to get clean. (laughs) Do you you get what I'm saying? Like we can become so dependent on generosity that's given to us. We don't know how to you know, protect and instill our own dignity when it comes to our generosity and how we give to others. Extravagant is this gift that Mary gives, anointing Jesus' feet by pouring one year's wage onto them. Can you imagine getting one year of your wage and just giving it to God? Because that's what she did. That's what she did. She took one year's wage and she gave it to God. That's incredible. That's extravagant. That's beyond believable. Jesus twelve seven in John, it says, Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. Second Corinthians 8, uh, verse 5, we see that um, Paul writes, they went beyond our expectation, having given themselves first of all to the Lord. They gave themselves by the will of God also to us. Think about that. You give to God first, and in that giving... We begin to be able to give extravagantly to others. See, when you give of yourself to Him, the other steps follow. That's just how it works. Give to Him first. He says it. You got to give your first fruits you got to give your tithe to Him first. You've got to prioritize your heart with Him first because when your heart is centered and founded and strengthened and solidified in the things of God, in the heart of God, then everything else that flows from that well, which the Bible says runs deep, never runs dry. When it flows from the wellspring of life, Then every other aspect of your life begins to permeate with generosity, begins to grow fruit in abundance, begins to sustain far greater uh, calling and a gifting than you could sustain in your own strength, begins to influence far further and far wider and far deeper in your community than you could ever have done in your own strength. Why? Because it comes from the source of the great extravagance that we need, and that extravagant source is our God. See, the most extravagant gift we can give to God is ourselves. I love that. You know? Carry a few pounds. That's an extravagant gift to God. It's good for your identity, hey? See, the Bible says that God takes delight in you. He takes delight in me. He even takes delight in Colin. You stretching or worshiping Colin? We see in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves and he'll take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you with singing. Rejoice over here literally means dancing, skipping, leaping, spinning around with joy. That's what God does. The mighty warrior, it's a weird juxtaposition, right? Like this is like mighty warrior and the next minute he's like, boom, 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 I love you. I love that. So when we're singing, he is my champion, he is my mighty warrior, the response is, well, I take great delight in you. Yeah. I dance over you right now. I'm spinning in joy because of who you are in my life. Right? That's the mighty champion warrior response of our God. Good, he doesn't sit stoically and be good. <laughs> Very nice. Spin a bit more to the left. No, he doesn't say that. The Bible says that he takes great delight in you, yeah. that he's with you. He is the real Lord of the dance. Matthew 6.21 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Does God have your heart right now? Does he have your treasure right now? I love what Billy Graham said. He says, show me a man's bank statement and I'll show you where his heart lies. Three types of giving in Scripture. There's tithes, there's offerings, and then there's extravagant offerings. Do you know most Christians actually never leave the first level of giving or, or actually ever start it? They never get to it. You know, in North America, only 7% of Christians tithe. You know, and we could be like, shame on you. But well, do you know what? Do you know that sort of upsets me? Not because they're not supporting what God's doing in their finances, but more importantly that there's 93% of believers who will never get to experience the extravagant grace and generosity that was, that was paid for by Christ so that we would have access to it. So here's the good news, Bart. If you understand and if you're obedient in, the th- in your tithing and your generosity, you'll be able to go to the second and the third levels because you understand that the curse is removed. Bible tells us that in this process, that heaven's windows open and he pours out favour and he pours out a blessing. Not in a give to get, but the blessing comes from the get to give. And this is why, because the reward of generosity is Christ. Mark 14, 8, 9 says, she did this. She poured perfume on my my body before to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. A woman who did not come to get a reward but come to give one gets confronted by a man who hated her extravagant generosity because he was a thief. But she understood that one year's wage was nothing in comparison to the life Christ had resurrected in her brother. That it was disappearing in comparison in relation to the life he was about to give up for her sake. Grateful people are generous. I say that again. Those who are grateful are generous. Last week we spoke that you've got to be reminded of what God is doing in your life so you can remain grateful. Because grateful people are generous. We have all been raised from the dead just like Lazarus. We all have a reason to give. Ephesians 2.1 says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. In verse 6 it says, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Selfishness is when you think giving to God means he owes you something in return. Generosity gives expecting nothing in return, but he always rewards it. Hebrews 11:6, we see the author write, "He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him." I love this. The word "rewarder means to reward with extravagance, to give more than what is due." That's what it means. See, being rewarded is different from being blessed. And this is what I love. God's reward is himself. Genesis 15:1, we read, "After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, "Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. God is our reward. Christ is our reward. What could God owe us when He has given us everything outside of our own means? What greater reward could we have than Him? I am generous. I want to be able to say that with complete integrity. I want you to be able to say that with complete confidence. I want us as a church to be known. Our Life Church is a church that is generous, that we are Generous. I want to be known as a church that gives as God gives, believes and sees what God is up to. Is not afraid, but we're audacious in our our giving. We're tenacious in our, our pursuit of generosity, that we are putting others first over ourselves, that we are living the bigger life, not the smaller life. We're taking the higher path, not the low road. We're taking the narrow and not the wide highway. We are becoming what God has asked us to become, and it is a powerful nation, a priesthood, a royal priesthood who understands that in our generosity and in our obedience towards it, that we are making a difference here now and years to come. Today is our Legacy Offering Sunday. This is no small thing. This is a big thing. This is between us, us and God. This us coming together, he's our Martin Life Church family and saying, God, we're investing in your legacy. Far beyond what we might be able to inherit in our own life, we give to you right now. I spoke and I've communicated over the last few weeks what we're looking for, what we believe God has put on us as a church, a calling. And now there's some really practical ways and then there's just really clear stewardship. We've been blessed as a church to have grown exponentially over the last two years, like very blessed. And furthermore, God has been so generous towards us. I look at this year of a pandemic And just the beautiful, beautiful response we as a church have been able to do, not because of us, but because of God. What He's given us in resource, what He's given us in people, what He's given us in confidence, what He's given us in sight and vision. Back in 2019, we would have no idea that when we were giving into the legacy offering, that we were giving into something that was going to sustain us through what the world will write as one of the most difficult most convoluted, most confusing year we have seen in a generation. Like history, will talk about this year. And what I'm so excited about that as we reflect on this year as our church in history, we can say we did this strong. We did this with grace. We did this with excellence, a heart of worship. Why? Because the year before, we believed and we invested As we've grown and as we continue to grow, it's become evident that probably as the lead pastor, Emma and I shouldn't be doing all of our accounts and administrational work and operational work in the church. And don't get me wrong, I love all that stuff. And we've we've been happy to carry that as a part of our job. But as we get larger, as there's more people that need pastoring and discipling and leading As we go to dual campus and more time is required in searching the word and what God is saying upon each location. Then as a church, we need to bring in people that are skilled to support. And so one of the things that we're hoping to raise funds for is to bring on an administration officer, someone who can support myself, do what I need to get done, done, so that I can spend more time pastorally caring for people. Some of you are like, is that a good thing? (laughs) We'll find out. That Emma and I can spend more time developing leaders and discipling believers. That we can help and continue to raise the great congregation that he's commissioned in Squamish. So that we can make sure that Matt and Amanda don't feel alone, but they have greater time and access to us. Why? Because I'm not doing budgets. I'm spending time with people. The second thing we want to Prioritize, and we do this every year, is to put aside some of the money for savings. And I know we are the church that gets given buildings, claim it for the next. But we're also the church that has to renovate buildings. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm also believing we're the church that's going to invest in church planners in India and church planners in Italy that we're not going to be stuck on the side of a mountain pretending that the rest of the world doesn't exist. And so I want to save for that. I want to prepare for that. I want to fill the storehouse. So when God says go, we can go, not in some sort of limited response, but in extravagant and abundant, more than they could have hoped or imagined response, that people know that when our life turns up, we turn up. Finally, finally, i mentioned this before, but we got to renovate a building. Like, God's given us a beautiful asset out at Squamish, and there's work that needs to be done there. We have a commitment to partner with Him. And just like I said, that when Levi brought me his dollar, but wanted something that was five times greater, can I tell you, as we come together today and we dream for something that might seem impossible? Let's not look at the impossibility. Let's just take what God has given us and ask us to give and let's see what dad does with it. Yeah. Let's see what he can purchase with our obedience. Let's see what he can resource with our faithfulness. I'm looking forward to January where we get to share our vision that God has given us for the next two years as a church. That's exciting. Oh man, when when Pastor Emma and I prayed about it and when we got the word, I was excited. I was excited because I'm a brawler. I like to get stuck into a fight. And can I tell you, 2021 is going to be a great year for those who like to take a little bit more ground. But right now, today, this is our opportunity to stand, take our position in the battle formations. And what I love is that the Bible tells us that Jesus, our great champion, goes before. That he stands. And as he stands and as we stand with him, what was once impossible becomes possible. Can I tell you right now, we're going to spend five minutes in worship and in this time, as an individual, as a family, as a household, would you prepare what you are going to give into the legacy offering and you can do that through different ways you can write a check you can send cash you can do it through push pay with your credit card or you can do it through e-transfer interact it into the church accounts all of its tax deductible but at the end of the day right now we're not looking at the tax return we're not looking at the less income or less money we have in our account we're looking forward to what we're inheriting in our obedience. So instead of looking at this in a regretful or a sad way, the Bible says he wants a joyful, cheerful giver. If 2020 was a year in which we realized that we needed God more than ever, and 2021 the battle lines have been drawn and it's time for the church to rise up, then maybe your offering shouldn't look like a loss maybe it should look like smooth pebbles that you're picking up from a riverbed maybe it should look like an arrow in which you can draw on your bow or maybe it should look like a spear in which you could shatter the lines of the enemy with all of a sudden standing with the champion of champions with our offering not as something that is weak, but something that is strong, something that has the ability to break down walls and unite and restore and resurrect, and all of a sudden that pebble will slay a giant, that arrow will strike the ground more than three times. That spear will hit its target. Church, are you ready to worship? In our hearts, in our finances, in our song, Today, as we store up a legacy, would you do it with a heart of excitement, urgency, and faith? We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.